My name is Anna, and I started a podcast called Unsaid Conversations. So the purpose of the conversations is to really learn about something new that you might have heard about and sounds really interesting, but you might not know that much about. Um, so today, I'm very happy to welcome Remy from Create Balance Method, and she's an expert in many very interesting things, and, and I'm very excited to learn about them. So today, I'm going to be asking questions about breathwork, meditation, and neuroscience. Uh, so welcome, Remy. Can you tell us a bit about yourself? Sure. Thanks, Anna. Thanks for having me on. Um, so my background is actually very varied. Um, I worked in corporate roles for, for many, many years um, in marketing and communications. Um, and then I started becoming very much more interested in, um, you know, ancient tools um, like breath work and meditation. Um, and it kind of took a, a, basically a 360 turn, if you will, um, where I not only employed these tools for myself officially, but also started working with other people. Um, and then I founded Create Balance Method a couple of years ago. Um, and uh, what we're doing there is we're applying these tools, these ancient tools like breath work, meditation, pranayama, tapping therapy, um, but from an evidence-based uh, perspective. And what I mean by that is we're not only looking at the ancient and the old research available on these tools, but we're also conducting our own research. And the point of having this old and research and new research come together is because um, I wanna try and find ways to apply these tools for a maximum efficiency and maximum effectiveness, because I feel like that's where the gap is at the moment. Um, you know, there's a lot of information out there, but how do we apply it in a way um, where the modern um, consumer, the modern person finds it relevant, right? The person mm -hmm. who has all these anxiety issues or is always, you know, um, concerned with the lack of time or mm -hmm. lives in a big city where, you know, there's like stimuli bombarding them and their senses yeah. and every walk of the way. So um, it's about the application of these tools from a research perspective in mm -hmm. a way that oftentimes combines um, various tools together, yeah. um, but for maximum um, effectiveness. Awesome. That sounds very interesting. Um, so you mentioned some of these tools. They include meditation, breath work, and then integrating the knowledge of neuroscience into these mm -hmm. ancient tools and how we're kind of bringing them into the modern wellness space. So I'd yeah. like to start with a few questions. Um, so the first uh, topic is I'd like to kind of do kind of a basic uh, uh, understanding of meditation. So what does the term meditation refer to in the wellness space? I know that it's been a very ancient technique, but I think it's been evolving to be something slightly unique in the modern wellness space. Yes. Um, so in the modern wellness space, meditation is a tool that is used to focus the mind. Um, it is a tool that is used to focus the mind, but we can do it in a variety of ways. Some ways seek to pacify the mind. Some ways seek to focus the mind by bringing its attention to just one spot. Um, some ways seek to focus the mind by distracting it, by focusing on other things like sensations. Mm -hmm. Some seek to focus the mind by calming it down using, using visualization. Um, so there's a variety of tools that are out there that seek to basically train the mind because if we don't, then we are at the, you know, at what's end of the mind. So then the mind controls us. And all of us, we know that when our mind is running a lot faster than, you know, we can catch up with, we get tired and mm -hmm. also very sick. Um, mm -hmm. So I think the wellness space now has recognized the need to control our mind um, and we can get there using a variety of techniques. So just for a tiny bit of background, can you talk a little about the traditional practices of meditation, just so we can connect how they've transitioned? from what they were used for and how they were used and how they were using them now. Yeah, sure. So, um, you know, me uh, meditation has been around um, 
you know, ancient practices um, like uh, ancient in uh, ancient Hinduism scriptures, in ancient Buddhist scriptures for thousands and thousands and thousands of years. Um, the Bhagavad Gita, which is the holy scripture of um, uh, Hinduism uh, for Hindus, have cited and quoted and referenced uh, meditation for uh, you know, in numerous occasions, same with um, Buddhism. So Lord Buddha, who is the founder of Buddhism, has a variety of meditation practices that are still carried on today. Um, one of those types of practices is um, that is very heavily rooted in the Buddhist tradition and Buddhist culture is the practice of vipassana. That is a specific type of meditation technique where um, you know, one would simply focus on the sensations of the body. Um, so if you're having an itch on your, let's say, um, cheek, for example, your right cheek, you would be bringing your awareness to that body part, um, to that area, and just observing it. So you're just looking at the cheek, you're just looking at this itchiness without actually scratching it. Um, it takes a little bit of time because obviously our natural reaction in meditation and to everything in life is to provide immediate relief, right? So, you know, when we're walking around, we have an itch in our back, we'll right away go and scratch ourselves. But um, this is where we're, you know, giving in and, and just almost uh, being a slave to every desire of our mind, which goes against meditation where we're trying to actually control our mm -hmm. mind. Mm -hmm. So with Vipassana, we'll be looking at that itch and just observing it and not doing anything. And what we'll quickly find is that the more we can bring an awareness and attention without judging it, without having that strong urge and crave of releasing that itch, mm -hmm. is that that feeling quickly unpacks itself, it melts and mm -hmm. it literally dissolves away I so see. the feeling of being itchy isn't uh you know isn't itchy anymore um it just sort of like melts away so that I would see. be one of the older types of meditation techniques um but today's uh you know today you know the, the wellness industry has been so creative and 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 so amazing in a lot of ways because they've come up with a lot of cool ways <laughs> yeah. and cool apps and you know all these kind of techniques and stuff like that that allow you to relax the mind pacify the mind focus the mind mm -hmm. um it could be through beautiful visualization it could be uh, you know, focusing on just one word or focusing on a mantra, for example. So if you would inhale, you would say things like, I am, or you would say love, and then you would exhale, you would also say love. So it'd be focusing on the inhales and the exhales. And the reason we focus on a mantra is, is because, or the reason we chant or say a word like love or I am mm -hmm. is because it, again, it allows the mind to focus and it, you won't get distracted by you know, the sound of the car outside on your street or, mm. um, you know, your air condition making a flickering sound. Um, so uh, making these um, chants or, or repeating a word is great, especially for beginners. Um, mm -hmm. But um, there are, you know, plenty of other tools out there that are, are very, very helpful as well. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. That's awesome. Uh, so it seems like a lot of meditation techniques really focus on um, kind of tools that we can use in the mind to kind of manipulate thinking. Um, so I was wondering if we can use the segue to go into breath work, because breath work yeah. really works with the body as well. And as we have come to realize more and more, the mind and the body really work in sync. So I was wondering if you could tell me yeah. a little bit more about breath work, starting from the basics of what is breath work? Right. Um, so breath work is basically, um, it originates from um, ancient India. Um, now, yogis in India for thousands and thousands of years have been manipulating the breath in order to achieve a desired state of mind. Um, uh, and so um, I, I'm just going to go into the difference between breathwork and pranayama because sure. I feel like that's a little, that's important. Mm -hmm. um, pranayama, which is um, ancient, you know, the ancient art of, of breathing um, originating from India, uses the breath to focus the mind. 
right? So mm -hmm. we're breathing maybe alternate nostril breathing, or we're breathing for two counts through the nose and exhaling for four, or we're breathing into this, what I like to call box breathing. Um, so there's a variety of these tools and it allows us to focus the mind. Now, breath work is a little different because although breath is breath work is employing breathing tools, the goal isn't to focus the mind, it's to pacify the mind, right? It's to tell the mind, hey, go to sleep. And the reason we want the conscious mind to go to sleep is because we want the subconscious mind to come up to the forefront. Mm -hmm. And the reason we want this is because Vedic principles, which is, you know, um, ancient Indian text, as well as Western transpersonal psychology, mm -hmm. all believe that all of the experiences that we go through as human beings remain stored on our body. It is stored in our mind as memory, but is also stored in our body as memory cell. In mm -hmm. addition to this, it's stored in our energetic fields. This means that all of the experiences that you've had as a child, good, bad, and ugly, will continue to remain stored on your body unless it is properly felt in the moment, properly experienced, fully kind of you've fully exposed yourself to it. Therefore, it is able to metabolize, disintegrate, mm -hmm. and release. Otherwise, it remains stored in our body, right? Mm -hmm. Stored in our body means stored in our mind and energy field, as I mentioned previously. So with breath work, we're allowing all of these old experiences to come to the surface and be released. How? Um, mm -hmm. We're using the breath and we're sending the breath to parts of ourselves that are usually inaccessible. Why are they inaccessible? Because they're associated with a lot of shame because our mother or our primary caregivers told us that, oh, you know, um, you know, this isn't good enough, right? Or we were shamed in school or it's just some part of us that we're not so proud of or we know that, you know, uh, maybe our body isn't where we want it to be or um, I don't know, we are conscious about, you know, um, how we respond in stressful situations because we get emotional. So mm -hmm. all these things are part of our, what I like to call our shadow, right? It's, it's, mm -hmm. it's us, but it's also the hidden kind of side of us. And it'll never right. ever, it'll never ever release and they'll never ever move away. We carry our shadows of years and years of conditioning, years and years of old experience. We, mm -hmm. we you know, continue to carry it with us. And the problem with having, or the problem with having a shadow is that it continues to dictate how we live our lives today. Mm. Now, if it didn't have any effect in how we live our lives today, that's, you know, it could be fine. But yeah. the problem with it is that it does. And how I mean, and I, what I mean is that, for example, if, you know, your grandmother who you live with tells you that, you know, Anna, you have a bad singing voice, don't sing, you know. Mm -hmm. And, mm -hmm. you know, it could just have been that she wanted you to do your homework or she didn't want you to disturb your grandpa who was trying to go to sleep or she, you know, didn't want you to go out and play in the rain and, and keep singing in the streets because it mm -hmm. was time to have a shower and have your dinner. Um, so people use these fear uh, mechanisms to control other people, right? And I'm sure their intentions were not harmful. Mm -hmm. um, but what we do is we collect these um, tactics and we collect these beliefs as conditioning and we, mm -hmm. we layer our true selves. So we, we, we coat our true selves, one layer and one layer. And each layer that we believe and collect continues mm -hmm. to layer this, the old layer, continues to layer the old layers. So we have, we have this like onion peel of layers that we've layered mm -hmm. our true selves. So our true self is actually hidden. Mm -hmm. So the Anna that actually wants to sing is unable to sing because mm -hmm. she's hidden by so many of these beliefs and onion layers that, mm -hmm. you know, are collected from years and years of experience that are a lot of times not even true, right? You could have the most yeah. beautiful singing voice. And so with breath work, we're sending prana, which is life force, which is breath, which is energy. Because if you think about it, the breath is the thing that we do first as human beings. Mm. And it's also the things that we do last before we die, right? We take our last breath and then we mm. die. Mm -hmm. So it's the most powerful thing. I mean, you can go with weeks without food. You can go days without water, but you can only go about four to five minutes without air, right? Yeah. Um, so it's literally, it's literally what is keeping us alive. 
So we use this breath and we send it to parts of ourselves, to our shadow, so that all of the experiences that are being held there is being melted with this breath. Mm, I see. Yeah. So it's being melted with this breath. It's being extracted with the breath. So it comes up to the surface. If it's something that, you know, isn't a very tough experience or isn't, hasn't been there for very long or isn't like quote unquote trauma, it can be melted, but otherwise it takes repetitive extraction. It takes breath work over breath work over mm -hmm. breath work, comes up to the surface. It begins to unpack and it releases. Yeah. So we also yeah. use sound in the extraction and sound in the mm -hmm. unpacking. I see. Um, but that's basically how it works. Wow. Okay. Um, that's a lot of yeah. <laughs> context there. <laughs> that's great. Yeah. It's quite a bit. Yeah. So as far as I understand, um, different techniques of meditation are to focus and breathwork is kind of a relaxation so that you can access your subconscious and just kind of have it do whatever it needs to do. Um, I'm interested in how those two techniques kind of combine. If you yeah. have something about that. Yeah, so, you know, the two techniques certainly um, activate our parasympathetic nervous system, which is the rest and digest. So, you know, as a result, most of the time you will feel relaxed, um, although that isn't the intention, that is not the goal, right? Because we're trying to do a lot more. Um, but how they intersect is that I think that breath work is a sort of active meditation because when you meditate, you're not doing anything, right? You're just mm -hmm. laying there and you're using the power of your brain, the power of your focus, the power of your awareness um, to focus on one thing, to ignore the second thing, to you know think of a mantra or whatever it is. Um, but with breath work, it's active. So what I mean by that is you're breathing a specific way for a specific mm -hmm. period of time. Um, and when we, we breathe a specific way for a specific period of time, we're transported to a non-ordinary state of consciousness. So Anna, you've done some breath work. You will see that after breathing repetitively, you're taken to this other headspace, right? Right. And so um, with meditation, you can also get there to this other headspace, but it takes a little bit of time it takes practice and it takes a seasoned meditator um, in order to transport you there where your subconscious is kind of at the forefront, your conscious brain is silent, it's quiet. Um, it's not as easy to get there, uh, right? But with breath work, it can get, you can get there a little bit more easily, I want to say. Um, in my sessions, which I will usually um, combine the two because I believe that when you're doing breath work first, you're transported to this state of consciousness, which is deep in the subconscious. It's in your limbic brain where um, between that sleepy and awake state, it's where all of the subconscious and, and all of your experiences are stored, right? It's in that limbic section or limbic space. Um, I love to do a meditation there because I feel like that is where and when the meditations really have an effect on you, right? Yeah. So, you, so otherwise, if you're doing a meditation, you know, with an app and you're just breathing in deep and you're focusing on the beach and um, what it does is really invoke like melatonin, it really relaxes the nervous system. But if you really want to do some subconscious work, like if you really want to release something that's been bothering you, or if you really want to ground yourself, um, it can really take, it can really be effective. Um, and this is where my research comes in, can really be effective when it's done in that subconscious and limbic section. Mm -hmm. um, so that's why I love to combine the two. That's why once you have that deep zone, um, once you get there through breath work, you can really have a beautiful and effective session through meditation. But the two are uh, have a lot of similarities. Um, and um, yeah. That's awesome. Um, that, that helps me kind of understand it a little more. They have been intersecting a lot because I've been hearing a lot of um, sessions about like breath work and different kind of breaths. And some people call it meditation or breathwork meditation. 
Uh, but yes. um, breathwork has been coming into the wellness space like a little later, um, meaning yes. more recently. So it it's, um, but I mean, they've been around for the same amount of time traditionally. Mm -hmm. um, but I've been recently, um, like this year, have been looking into it and tried more myself. So it's interesting that you talk about how more effective breathwork is in terms of like releasing um, what's going on in your body. Because um, oh, for yeah. sure, both practices induce deep relaxation. Um, mm -hmm. and, and relaxation in any way, as you know, is great. But sometimes you really need to kind of heal on, on a slightly faster track than um, than others maybe. <laughs> so, yeah, and also you need to heal in a more deeper way, yeah, then, right? Yeah, yeah. And, and different people might have different like uh, needs and some might have like a more urgent need to, to heal. Yeah. And I see breath work as um, a real tool for that. So that's really interesting Correct. to learn about. Right. Um, and also one more thing I wanted to mention, Anna, which I think is really important for people to understand in terms of breath work is that um, as you rightfully mentioned earlier, you said that breath work is a tool that heavily involves the body. And that is so true because, um, you know, with, with meditation, it, it's often primarily focused on the mind, right? But with breath work, it is very much a tool that um, extends itself to throughout our body. Um, and what people will find is that, you know, um, uh, the, so the body is isn't able so when I'm talking to you now I use English yeah. and I use language to communicate but the body doesn't have that expression it doesn't it can't say hey Anna I'm having like a tough uh, shoulder today like you know I need like a massage or something mm -hmm. what it does is it gives you sensation right so it pulses a little bit and it's like so then you know like oh my gosh okay my neck is weird I need to like or my shoulder is weird I need to like maybe go lay down or something so the sensation is the way of the body body communicates. Mm -hmm. So um, with breath work, we find that we'll get a ton of sensation, right? Um, we just have sensations all over. It could be tingling, it could be pressure, and sometimes it could be even more intense, right? But this is when we really need to bring our awareness towards that body part because the body is trying to tell us something. It's trying to tell us, a, a, it could be a plethora of things. It could be, hey, you know, there's pain here. Hey, there is unreleased emotion here. Hey, there is, um, you know, a stuck energy here. And so that's why I always tell people, pay attention and listen to your body. Instead of saying like, oh my gosh, I'm just going to try to like wiggle the pain off and focus on my, going back to focus on my breathwork technique. No, like this is actually the time to devote, to listen to what's happening because your body is trying to tell you something. And if mm -hmm. you don't listen to something, how can it unpack and release? It can't. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so that is um, a big distinction as well. Mm -hmm. um, that's great. Thank you for kind of giving more context to that. Um, mm -hmm. I'm a big believer in like helping our body speak yeah. in whatever way yeah. it needs to. Sure. Um, I'd like to now move to talking or about neuroscience because yeah. um, you've mentioned you did some research and I've also read a lot about neuroscience and that has, that substantiated a lot of uh, wellness techniques that's come about. So people feel more confident maybe kind of doing them because they yeah, kind yeah. Of have science behind them. Um, so maybe oh, you yeah. could start with just the basics of what it is and how it's influencing people's perception of meditation, breath work, and just kind of the newer wellness techniques that come about. Sure. Um, so neuroscience is basically the study of um, all the sciences, such as like neurochemistry, um, experimental psychology, and basically it deals with the structure and function of the brain and the nervous system. Um, my, I'm particularly interested in the study of the body and mind connect. When I say body and mind connect, we're studying the body in relation to the brain and the brain functions and the structure and brain chemistry as it pertains to healing, right? And what we found, and yes, I know a lot of people are, you know, um, just kind of almost take it for granted or, or maybe just kind of uh, brush it to the side because like I said earlier, 
these tools have been around for so long, we haven't often backed it up by science, right? Um, or at least not recently. Um, so what we're finding is that there are literally structural changes that happen to your brain when you meditate. There is changes to your nervous system that happens when you do breath work. And, um, you know, some of these changes could be, um, so, you know, when, when people uh, meditate, they find, and, and, you know, if you kind of uh, look at your brain and, and just see how the structure changes and how your nervous system changes and how your body responds, you'll find that after about a 30 minute meditation, specifically, let's say if you're focusing on your heart, so it'd be a cardiac coherence meditation, which is also something that I do, um, so you're focusing on your, your heart area, you'll find that the changes present is that um, your body begins to reset itself in a way where um, you are brought to homeostasis. And what that means is that the body is put into a deep relaxation mode in, that happens in that subconscious area, in that limbic brain, where, the blood, where your blood pressure will regulate. So if you have high blood pressure and you're doing this meditation, it just stabilizes. Your heart rate, if you've had irregular heart rate, that also stabilizes. It goes into a coherent pattern. What a coherent pattern is, is that it goes into like this. So up beats and then it goes down, it dips and then it goes back up and it dips. Now a coherent pattern is a healthy pattern. An unhealthy pattern is one that is irregular. So it would be either like that or it would just be like the dips and the, uh, you know, going up and down would be smaller. We don't want that. We want it, the dips to be low and um, the peaks to be high. That would be considered healthy. Mm -hmm. um, so when you have a healthy or a coherence, um, what happens is like I said, regulation of the heart rate, regulation of blood pressure, um, your IgA levels. IgA levels is the body's first line of defense against things like a virus, against things like bacteria, fungi, mold, um, foreign bodies. Your IgA is released for six hours. So, you know, it's super relevant to today because, um, you know, we're walking around with COVID, um, everywhere and so why isn't meditation being the first thing that you know authorities are telling us to do i mean if you're meditating you're boosting up your immune system by crazy levels for six hours so i would recommend people meditate the first thing in the morning and then walk out of their houses because chances are you're probably your 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 chances of uh, contracting COVID is, is going to be very low um so that's the meditation um, section in terms of neuroscience. Um, but another thing that I would like to also uh, give you an example of is that um, what we found is that our brains are plastic, which means that they change, right? That's why the term neuroplasticity is coined, which means how our brain is structured can very well change. Now, for the longest time, we thought, you know, our brains change until we're about 18, right? If we're generous, 18. Mm -hmm. But that's not true. Research has found that it continues to change. So if you are reinforcing yourself, reinforcing yourself with negative thoughts, your brains will continue to repeat and continue to reinforce that change mm -hmm. until you stop doing so. Conversely is true. If you've you know, grown up in a very negative, pessimistic environment where your parents always had um, very scarce thoughts about money, for example, and that was your programming. Um, as an adult in your 30s, you are able to rewire yourself mm -hmm. by continuing to meditate, giving yourself the right um, messaging, um, doing it in a subconscious state, um, which allows the neuroplasticity of your brain to take its course so that it can actually rewire. And that means that your brain doesn't know the difference um, when, you know, if, so for example, you're seeing, a, 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 you know, like let's say um, a murder, a, a thriller movie or a violent mm -hmm. movie on Netflix, your brain doesn't actually know the actually taking place in real life or if this is just a film that you're watching on screen mm -hmm. um, 
we're using this finding and applying it to our, our cells and our brain. So mm. when we're going under, we're rewiring ourselves, we're telling our brain that, hey, you know, money is actually not something to be scarce about. Money comes easily. Um, you know, when I work hard and I do my best, I can actually get in money, of course. You have to focus on the points where that are sore points. So if your parents said specific phrases like, oh, money doesn't go on trees, those are the things that you have to work on during your meditation, but you have to rewire in your brain to give yourself the ideal situation mm -hmm. um, so that you basically trick your brain to thinking that this is actually um, what, is, what you need to believe. This is actually what um, is reality in your brain just like it adopted that first belief that money doesn't go on trees it mm -hmm. will also adopt the second belief that you know money comes easily to me let's say that was your new thing mm -hmm. um, and after some repetition you'll find that you can actually um, rewire your brain your brain chemistry will actually change the structural areas of your brain will actually change mm -hmm. um, and that will be you know through repetition your new belief so is this a type of reprogramming meditation? So yes. if you combine the focusing of your mind on any kind of thing, like a visualization or a mantra, along with a type of breath work, it seems like you can um, go into a hypnosis where you yourself, your conscious doesn't have to work anymore and kind of allow yourself to like set new intentions, essentially. Yeah. So right? Yeah, I really believe that like if we're doing mantras and we're doing affirmations and stuff, it's it's always like on a conscious level. So you can say money comes easily. You can say it until your face goes purple, right? But if it's not a core belief, then mm -hmm. um, chances are your brain's not going to really pick it up, right? Mm -hmm. So what happens with my reprogramming meditation is that I first take you to that theta state, that subconscious state where it's in between the sleepy awake state that's where all of your remember when i said earlier that's where we go with breath work because that's where all mm -hmm. the beliefs are being held all your experiences are being held mm -hmm. we go there and we rewire or reprogram those old beliefs and mm -hmm. we replace them with new ones and we yes we use visualization techniques um we use repetition of words techniques we use, but more importantly, um, we, we rewire them in a way that I have found it that um, really allows the brain to touch on specific um, memories. And what we'll find, Anna, is that when we go there, um, so I'll give you, can I give you like a quick example? Um, what I found, so for the longest time, I used to have a fear of being abandoned and being left. and you know, it, it happened in the most, um, it, it, as an adult now, I'm, I mean, I'm in my 30s, I still had this belief. So I took myself through a reprogramming meditation and I found that the core or, or the, the, exper the specific experience that this originated from the seed was once when I was about probably three or four years old, I was with my parents in Singapore. Now my mom, we were at a hotel, my mom had gone out shopping and it was just me and my father. We were, I was remember playing on the bed and just hanging out. And um, you know, I was like, oh, where's mom? And he said, oh, she's gone out shopping. She'll be back later. And he ran to the door to lock the door, right? To just make sure that the door was locked. And I was like shocked. I thought he was gonna leave me too. I mean. My four-year-old brain knows that, you know, we're in a new space, new country. This isn't home. I'm in a new environment. I'm only with my dad. Um, and when he walked to the door to close the door or to lock it, I thought that he was going to leave. And I said, oh, where are you going to go? And he said, oh, I'm going to go out and I'm going to leave you. And he was just teasing. He was just playing with me. He said, oh, I'm going to leave you alone. Um, and that was it. I was just... I felt a fear like sort of like wash over me and it was almost paralyzing because as a four-year-old, you aren't able to um, process that information. 
you don't know how to be logic. You don't know how to weigh um, what he's taking versus, you know, what you know. You really don't know how to make sense of it. What you are told is what you believe at four. Mm -hmm. And so I thought that he was going to leave me and I was going to be alone in this new environment. And I felt super unsafe and I felt like I was being abandoned. Never happened. He was very much there. He just locked the door and he came back. Um, but I felt a deep sense of abandonment. And that was an experience that didn't even happen. But I collected it and it wasn't processed. It was stored in my subconscious, in my limbic brain. And as an adult, um, I feel like I'm going to be abandoned with friends, um, you know, with my dad sometimes who walks out of the house to go to work. I feel that sense of abandonment. Um, if my brother goes on business trips, I, you know, used to feel that, oh, he was abandoning me, abandoning me if he never got in touch. Um, this is a real fear. And no matter how much evidence, evidence we have to counter this experience or to counter this reality that, you know, um, he always comes back. My dad goes to work and he comes back because it's stuck as a conditioning, your belief, your core belief of being abandoned will never, ever um, uh, leave. It'll never melt away unless you actively do something to release it. Right. Mm -hmm. So with reprogramming meditation, I took myself back there um, and I reprogrammed myself by showing myself the experience of my dad being there and when I asked him where he was going to go, he didn't play with me by telling me that he was going to leave. He said, oh, I'm just locking the door and I'm here. I'm going to be right here for you. Um, you have nothing to worry about. Mom is coming back. You're okay. I'm always here for you. He came back. He gave me a hug. So we're giving the brain um, the ideal situation, right? Not the situation that happened. We're, we're, we're kind of um, uh, tricking it by thinking of the positive ideal situation and doing this enough will rewire the brain and trick it to thinking this was actually what happened. I That's see. how we do it. So reprogramming often or always has to do with going back to that memory and consciously either Releasing recreating it, it or mm -hmm. doing something in, yeah. with that memory, right? Yes, um, that melts it away or that replaces it with something new. Or um, I've also heard that you can um, choose a memory where you experience a lot of joy and kind of combine it with other yeah. memories as a yes. releasing mechanism. You um, so you could something like that would be reprogramming, yeah. right? Yes, exactly. So you're replacing it with a time that you did feel all this love and joy and you're transferring that feeling because that also lives within you. You're transferring it to this time of life where, you know, mm -hmm. you weren't feeling so great. So you're replacing it with a good memory. I see. Um, so that's really awesome. Um, reprogramming, I haven't heard that word a lot before, but I feel like it comes into yeah. um, a lot of wellness practices once you've kind of entered into some simple, simpler ones, I think. Yeah. So, so reprogramming is a, a coin that I have, a term that I coined. So it's something that I use for my meditation. Um, I'm sure, I, I think, I mean, honestly, I don't know of any other practices that are um, in the industry that do such types of meditation just yet. Mm -hmm. um, but I'm sure, I'm sure that there are some out there. But, you know, like you said, they're probably, they probably would use like a different word because I haven't heard of the term. Either. Yeah, I've heard it only vaguely, but uh, like as a generic term, but I yeah. hope it does come into uh, more practice. Yeah, yeah. It's really it's helpful. Terrible. Yeah. Um, I was really wondering is. if you wanted to talk a little more about uh, Teda meditation and how it's different than any others. Yes. So we covered a lot of theta earlier, but theta is basically this zone that's sort of like a hypnotic like zone. It's between the conscious and the subconscious. It's mm. that subconscious brain. Um, it's where you 
are really able to invoke your parasympathetic uh, sympathetic nervous system. Um, so theta is a space where your conscious brain isn't the guy doing the navigating. Um, so usually the, the, the conscious brain is the captain of the ship, so to speak, or the captain of your life. But now in the theta state, um, your conscious brain is, uh, the captain's a bit sleepy, um, <laughs> as I like to say. Um, so, you know, you've just sort of told him to retire for the night and your subconscious brain <laughs> or your subconscious mind is coming to the forefront and he's driving the ship, right? Um, and so with theta meditation, um, and, you know, Anna, you've participated in that too, you'll find that um, anything that you do after that, so once we get to the theta zone, anything that we do after that in that theta zone, you are able to accept and um, see a lot easier. You're so much more suggestive. That's why it's so important to find the right practitioner, someone that you can trust, someone who has the right research and credibility. Um, and so uh, we can do visualization in that zone and you'll be able to see that visual so much more. You know, if it's like a sensory type of experience, you'll be able to hear the seagulls and smell the salty air and feel the sun kissing your forehead so much more. It's so much more vivid and like mm -hmm. um, 4D, if you will. Yeah. Um, that would be like a visual meditation in theta or a visualization meditation. We could also do things like um, we can also go and um, connect with our bodies so we can connect with our heart space and feel it vibrating. And, and what I feel is that it's so beautiful because when you are in that theta zone and you're connecting with your heart space, for example, mm -hmm. you can not only feel your heartbeat in the form of like audio, like from your ears, but you can actually feel it um, beating in your heart cavity, taking it further. You can also feel it pulsating throughout your whole body. So it's mm -hmm. even more of like a collective experience, even more deeper. It's even more powerful. Um, and what I like to do in that theta zone is sometimes visualization, um, but also what I love to do is just use it to release the charge of deeply troubling or emotional experiences. It could be something small too. For example, if you had a fight with a coworker last week and that tape has been playing in your mind, right? Oftentimes we have that conversation in repetition like a broken record. What we would do is we would take you through that theta zone and we would release the emotional charge of that fight with your coworker. Mm -hmm. so that it is released and we're doing it in the theta zone so it's actually where it's stored so release can mm -hmm. actually take mm -hmm. place we're cutting that cord we're releasing it and then you know allowing you to calm down through uh grounding through you know visualization whatever it is and then allowing you to come out and um, mm -hmm. Sometimes we close with pranayama, which is a breathing tool, um, the ancient breathing tool. And this allows us just to seal us back up. It allows us to focus the mind a little bit more and then we'll, we'll uh, kind of close the practice. I see. Um, so it seems like um, theta is really a good tool for reset in a way. It is um, a great tool for reset, yes. Uh, that's really awesome. Um, I guess I hadn't thought of thought of certain meditations or breath work as a reset but they really do act like that um especially if they're practiced like at the end of the day or the end of the week or something like yeah, that yeah yeah um, exactly they kind of help us transition into kind of more of a i i call it like a default relaxed state like if we didn't have any obligations and any responsibilities we would be in this like relaxed default state <laughs> Um, and I love that um, theta especially works with the subconscious. So you kind of get more familiar with what that feels like, which is really important, I think. Yes, it is. Yeah. And all of the work that I do is, um, you know, works with the subconscious because I feel like um, meditation can be great for relaxing and you can also get there through, um, you know, the work that I do, but it is never the goal because I feel like, uh, you know, with the lives that we lead and the stress levels that we manage and the jobs that we do, um, uh, 
you know, we need more than relaxation. We need a deep subconscious reset. We need a huge visceral somatic release, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. Um, so it's so much, it, it's very, very important to relax, but also go deeper. Um, make sure that you're actually kind of uh, releasing all of these things that we collect and, and we not only collect, but we hold on to them through our lives, which mm -hmm. make it tougher. We already live like hectic lives where we're making it tougher for ourselves. Um, so yeah. yeah, everything that I do works at the subconscious, works to release, works to reset, works to uh, reprogram. Awesome. Uh, thank you. Thank you so much for kind of kind of creating this uh, walkthrough of, uh, of sort of a combination of techniques that you're really passionate about. Um, I wanted to talk in closing about um, any research that you wanted to share and then just a little bit more about yourself and your services. Yes. So um, currently I'm employed um, in a couple of research projects that look at tapping therapy, also known as EFT, emotional freedom technique, and how it relates to um, prevention of full bone, uh, a full uh, blown PTSD, so post-traumatic stress disorder. Um, so we're looking at how um, tapping therapy, as I like to call it, can prevent um, a trauma, um, but also help in the release of trauma that's already present in the body. Um, and you know, my, the way I love to do things is I love to uh, take this through to the subconscious state. So I'm combining tapping therapy with a lot of other modalities like breath work and theta meditation. Um, so that's uh, one of the research, um, you know, that I'm participating in at the moment. Um, and um, I'm also looking at um, breath work and the use of mantras at the same time. Um, so once again, breath work happens at a subconscious state. You're breathing, you're in, you're transporting yourself to a non-ordinary state of consciousness, kind of like being um, almost like high. People compare breath work as being, uh, as you know, being on. LSD, for example. Um, so it's you're taking you're this you're having this high, but without any substance. Um, and once you're in that um, zone, you're very suggestive, right? Um, your brain is open to all the suggestions. So what if we in influence or introduce um, the brain to um, some affirmation? Now, um, if you just think about sound, sound is vibration right? Um, and when we make a sound, um, it's a transference, uh, right? So if I am very upset, I yell, it's a transference of energy that's in me, and it's transferring outside of me, right? So if we in, in, introduce the sound to a state of mind that's already very suggestive, a state of mm -hmm. mind that's very deep, what happens? It not only clears up or it clears um, our our subconscious state, which is holding on to years and years of conditioning, but it can also, if we're using the right suggestion, it can also change what, what we're holding on to. So if we're using mantras, um, which is, you know, uh, positive Hindu words, for example, or simple mantras that could be in English, for example, love could be a mantra. If we're in, introducing the word love to a state of mind that's very suggestive already, what happens, right? Um, so there's been a lot of research uh, done by Japanese scientists that say that, for example, they study water and they, um, you know, they have water that's like there, maybe in a, a water bottle or something, and they play beautiful classical music. The water, comp the composition of water changes and it fluctuates in like a very beautiful pattern. Mm -hmm. But if you play rock or heavy metal, um, the composition of this water element just goes in crazy, it goes in influx, mm -hmm. right? So if sound is influencing water and the composition of water in such way, what about words and beautiful vibrations? How mm -hmm. will that influence our body, but also our mind, right? Mm -hmm. So that's kind of the stuff that I'm also looking at. Um, yeah so it's really exciting <laughs> yeah that sounds like really cool how, how you, uh, and that you uh work with uh students so you can kind of get real-time feedback 
on certain things. So that's awesome. Yeah. Kind of combining different techniques. I'm a big yes. believer in kind of experimenting with um, different parts and kind of making them work together. Oh, yeah. yeah. Um, Awesome. So um, maybe uh, you can tell us just in brief the type of services that you offer and where can people find you? Sure. So breath work is something that I do. Um, I also do one-on-one -on -one coaching. Um, I do uh, reprogramming meditation, as we mentioned earlier. I do meditation that focuses on cardiac coherence. Mm. Um, and then, um, you know, the theta meditations. Um, and all of these practices that I do combine, usually combine one or two tools together for maximum mm -hmm. effect, because that's what we find is most effective. Um, and um, where can people find me? People can find me on my website. It's called createbalancemethod.com. Um, mm -hmm. I'm also on Instagram at balance method. Um, and um, yeah, it, be I would love to kind of answer any questions you might have or, uh, you know, any, um, yeah, I'm also working with a lot of organizations. I mm -hmm. um, recently conducted um, a huge uh, a theta meditation, cardiac coherence meditation for NYU, uh, the alumni of NYU, where I'm also part of, um, we had a meditation session of over 100 people, um, mm. so that was really cool. I also work with um, corporations who kind of want to involve, and in, in so much more so now, mm -hmm. um, kind of their, their staff to some sort of, you know, corporate wellness or everyone's starting to understand the importance of mental health. And so we're trying to bring this to the, to the work, the workforce and work workplace as well. Yeah, that's great. Um, that's super important. I hope that continues more and more. <laughs> um, but I wanted to mention specifically um, the theta meditation that I did with you. It was really awesome. Yeah. So yeah. I hope you continue that and right now you're doing um, kind of a regular every two weeks. Um, yeah. for the next couple of weeks. Yeah. Um, and you know what, Anna, I've gotten such great feedback and I think that I might even move it to weekly. Um, and then monthly, I, so Theta meditation will be weekly. It's coming up soon. Um, every month I'll have a meditation session, uh, usually combined with either affirmation or tapping therapy. Um, so it's, you know, a deep dive where you really see things and really go somewhere else, which, which is pretty cool. Mm -hmm. Um, and then, um, yeah, so I'll be in, uh, as time goes along, I'll be more regular with these, uh, sessions. Yeah. That's good to know. Thanks. Sure. Uh, well, I'm going to close up. I wanted to say thank yeah. you so much for oh, joining me. Oh, my pleasure. Me. Thank this you is the first one, me. so I'm very excited. Hey, I'm, <laughs> I'm happy to be on the first. <laughs>